Having a Gas is the podcast that talks to the great and the good of the creative industries, and in particular finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for dancing to, for cooking to, for f***ing to, and more. Today I'm having a gas with Cal Helzin, the Chief Creative Officer at 180 Amsterdam. Cal has a passion for creativity itself, for thinking outside the borders of what's already understood, and he brings this passion to the creative department at 180 and turns it into award-winning work. The, the question, broadly speaking, was uh, why is it that everyone wants to work for you? Uh, everyone really likes 180 in Amsterdam. It's got a great reputation. Could you speculate as to why that is? Um, well, thank you. That's, uh, that's very kind of you to say. Um, well, there is a sign that hangs over the, above the door as you walk into the agency, and it says, um, be nice or leave. And I think... Uh, it kind of speaks to the respect that we have for each other. I mean, uh, at 180, we're about, I think the last time we measured, we were something around 22, 23 different nationalities. A lot of people from different places that kind of look at the agency as its home, uh, away from home, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it, it's fostered this mentality of, I guess, taking care of each other. And I think that's exciting to people because the industry is is difficult. It's, it's not just, I guess, not just this industry, but... Life is quite hard right now, and I, I, um, I think it's important that people feel safe and feel at home, uh, and hopefully um, 180 can represent that, and I think we do. So it's not just about the people that come and want to work with us. I think we also have a um, – and that's awesome to hear, by the way, but it's the it, what really is a good measure of that is, of course, the retention, that we don't have a lot of um, – we haven't had a lot of people leaving. We, we kind of stick – stick uh, you know people tend to stick around and figure out what's next and a, f- a few things that we've done um, as well over the past say three and a half years since I've been there is that we've we've hired very little leadership from outside I'm sure we've we've hired a few but we've also made sure that there's um, there's there's room upwards for people inside of the agency and we've um, we've made sure to promote internally rather than just hiring and uh, I think that kind of fosters a mentality that this is a great place not just to be for a bit, but to hang out at. And hopefully that can help with the, with the hiring as well. I mean, I hope so. And it's interesting. It's an interesting thing to mention in general, retention and, and long-term thinking, because it's really been a big feature of many of the discussions I've had on this, on this platform for the last 12 months. There's a lot of concern that on both client side and within agencies, retention is... Um, retention is it, there's not a lot of it. People move on very quickly. You know, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of clients on the marketing side move around roughly every eighteen months is a, is a stat that I've been given. And of course, the people I know in London move from agency to agency an awful lot. What, what, why do you think that is, and what do you think the disadvantage of that is, if there is one? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've also done it. Um, quite a few times and then you kind of find places that stick with you they challenge you in the, in the right way I just think we're curious people you know and um, it's up to us as, as as an industry and as kind of workplaces to satisfy that and to not stagnate and to grow and to have a good time growing and I mean that as, a, as, an, as an agency or as the workplace and if you can do that, then there is something new to kind of discover as you walk through the doors. Perhaps not every day, but you can see that there's interesting things happening. It's not just winning new accounts and growing, 
it's about, I guess, adapting to the changes of the world in, in, um, in many different ways. And, and um, I think it doesn't really necessarily have to be bad. I think some people are, and, and should be maybe right to so impatient when you're young, like there's, it's such a fine balance. You, you, gotta, you kind of got to figure it out for yourself in a sense, right? I think there's dangers of being stuck for too long at one place. And then there's dangers in moving too quickly. Um, I think the only one who can really uh, say if it was a good move or not is yourself. Um, but of course, you know, if you look at someone's, if you look at someone's CV and you see them that they've been nine months or 12 months at every place they've been at, then maybe they should be freelance. You know? Yeah, it's it's like it's like an an unusual way, a version of freelancing to continually go around to different places in a you know a permanent position. But the you know the only thing that is permanent is the change. That's the only thing that remains constant is constantly moving. Yeah, I mean, I I think uncertainty is great. Like uncertainty keeps us on our toes a lot, and I think that's really awesome. And if we were if if we knew that everyone would be around every day, then what's the fun in that? Like then you don't have to reinvent yourself or anyone else for that matter. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult question because I don't think there's a right answer. I think it just comes down to the, to the, uh, to the individual and what the individual wants to do. I mean, I've, I've, I started in advertising myself and then I went to production and then to the client side and then in back to advertising again. And, and uh, I think you just got to be curious and figure, figure stuff out. The, the most important thing, though, is to make sure that you have a good time, you know, and when you feel like it's not fun anymore, it's, it's really is important to kind of ask yourself, why is it because of, you know, the situation at work or is it something else or whatever it is? And sometimes it's good to shake things up, too. So, I don't, yeah, it really comes down to the individual. Um, uh, but I, I uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question, actually. It's um, there is no good advice. Well, that could, that could be uh, something else to put on the wall. There is no good advice, but um, I don't know. If uh, what, let's 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 talk about you as the individual for a second, as opposed to the individual as such. What do you do to keep things fun, interesting, rejuvenating things, as opposed to you know letting them stagnate and become predictable? Well, uh, I, I have been, I, I guess, um, questioning uh, a lot of my own motifs and a lot of the own the, the the reasons why and the purpose of things and the why we do what we do and stuff and 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 I I I tended to I call it the banana peel principle where you kind of you're you at least previously in my career when I was younger it was more about being excited about stuff right if it wasn't exciting then I, I got ants ants in my pants and I had to move and then the banana peel kind of took me somewhere and you meet someone, you know, or, or you, uh, for instance, when I was in Sweden, I got my first job, et cetera. And then I met someone else uh, that started an agency and I started working with them. And then I felt like, hey, let's go to London, start working in London. We're around in London. And then they called from Amsterdam and you end up in Amsterdam. And then, you know, you, I went back to Sweden and, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a bar at 4, 4 a.m. And then the next week you're working at a production company. It's like... Uh, <laughs> So I, I think trust trust the banana peel a little bit. Like um, that, that's at least for me. I think if you plan things too thoroughly, there's there's a few risks that's associated with it. It's of course certainty that you you have a plan, uh, but certainty is also really limiting because uh, the most of the stuff that's exciting, 
like penicillin, for instance, happens without the plan or outside of the plan. So the banana peel is your friend, you know, like just, just be open to stuff. Um, and I think now, I mean, when I started out um, 20 something years ago, like freelance existed and in Sweden, freelance market was very, very small. Now, of course, there's, there's huge opportunity for freelance. So you don't have to commit in the same way as you needed perhaps as well. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting. You were kind of expanding on the idea there that you should endeavor to become, uh, you should endeavor to become friends with what you don't know and yes. to enjoy not having the plan. I've, I heard something recently that said, if the path ahead of you is clear, it's probably because someone else has already carved it. You're walking someone else's path if you know where you're going. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Listen, I think that's a lot of what's also troubling with our industry is that we kind of, we, we have a map in front of us based on assumptions, data and insights and what have you. And, but that just shows us where we are. It doesn't show us where we need to go. And in order to know where we need to go to find something new and exciting, we have to kind of go where we haven't been before. And that's a scary thing. And uncertainty, uncertainty is, is um, I think there's been some studies around this, but uncertainty is more stressful to people than, than the knowledge of certain, that, that certain pain, physical pain. Yeah. Um, but also uncertainty is the thing that kind of triggers our, our uh, brain to start to learn things and start yes. to open up to new experiences. So I think find uncertainty really... As a creative, at least, it's really important to find uncertainty, and and uh, um, and I, I and can be can can also be created in a safe environment, right? So, certainty and uncertainty combined is really exciting. So, cer the certainty of a safe environment where you're respected, there's empathy, we understand each other, we're trying to understand each other, which is more important than than understanding each other, I think, uh, uh, and then be able to create within that. I mean. I think that's really cool. And, and I usually use that analogy of jazz. It's the same thing in a creative department, I feel, or with, when you're working with a great partner or in a great team or workshopping with a client. The, 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 the framework you're setting up is one of safety and certainty. But the only reason that it exists is so that we can take off you know, our, 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 our helmets inside of it and, and just run amok to find something new. Um, and that's the beauty of it. However, if you structure too much, so that the path to like a design process so that we know that the outcome is going to be in a certain way, then you're, you're kind of missing out on, 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 on innovation and, and what makes us human, you know? So yeah. it's a fine balance, I think, between the two. I, I always, um, I'm perpetually fascinated by uh, playing with the idea that creativity obviously is about discovering new things and you could say breaking boundaries but necessarily creativity also needs constraints so for example if um you so for example if you're a composer of music and you're writing a piano sonata the piano is the constraint you can't move over to an oboe or an electric guitar you are on, that's your constraint is these 88 keys right. within those constraints you have infinite potential which is demonstrated by the fact that people keep writing more and more music on the piano it's, it can never be fully discovered but you yeah. need the boundaries 
I mean, you need three chords, right? What is it? C, D, G, or whatever? You can you write... Could, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's what a lot of them need. You're kind of uh, describing uh, sort of uh, Oasis there or similar. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's right. It's like, even within the scope of three chords, which is like 12-bar blues, how many records did we right. produce? It's incredible, right? And, and uh, so I guess that's the point with using certainty and uncertainty. Certainty is a framework that you put around things to be able to create uncertainty within that. So someone said, I see, listen, I'm so bad with this. Um, mm-hmm. Names just keep disappearing from my head at times, but give me the, give me the uh, luxury of a tight brief, right? It's the same thing. It's like, here's your instrument, here's your oboe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have to know how to play the oboe in order to make something useful. So that's important, right? So which leads us to the next topic, which in my mind is really important, is craft. Right. So you have to know, you have to make stuff, you have to be good at making stuff in order to... Uh, be able to play within the boundaries of that or the luxury of that tight certainty or that tight brief or the, you know, the blues that you're trying to create. And it's the same for any, any artist or any crafts person, really. It might be that your craft is incredibly tight. You might be the guy who carve out little trolls from tree stumps and that's all you do. But God, those are good trolls, you know, Yeah. after a while. Um, yeah. And so, well, that's, yeah, that's so, about the that's the necessity of discipline, isn't it? So creativity, uh, in a way that might seem like a contradiction, creativity actually thrives on on discipline and on, like we were saying, very tight boundaries. And in this, I suppose uh, I, I, you're a you're a designer first, aren't you? That was your initial foray into into creativity. And in order to design, you need to learn the rules of design in order to then discover what has not yet been discovered. Yeah, I, I, I think you have to have a point of view on design. Um, I mean, design to me is a foundation principle, which is about friction. Um, it comes down to friction. It, 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 design in, in its purest form is about removing bad friction and adding good friction. That's all there is. And that can be music, that can be graphic design, it can be interface design, it can be a process, it can be um, anything really. And that's the exciting thing about design as a, as a way of thinking, as a way of being. And then you have the craft of a designer who designs things, which is sure, I mean, you have to know your tools, you have to, and at 180, I think one of the things that we've been good at at 180 is craft. We've been really good at making things that have a, a, a level of, of I guess, craft them that makes them enjoyable for more than, than the idea and for more than uh, they, they, they take a shape of their own, if you will. And I, that's one of the things that I keep hearing a lot when I talk to people. And I think our being obsessed with craft is really important because when you flimps around with ideas, just, you know, I think the English expression is waffling. Yes. When you waff, waffle around, right? You waffle around and you come up with a bunch of stuff and, but nothing really, you don't really put anything down or you don't develop anything, then mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's just a bunch of stuff, right? Yes. That no one really cares for. You certainly don't care for it if you don't jot it down and start to craft it. So um, craft is incredibly important because if you get quickly to it, you use your creative development process to make quick decisions about what you need to do. And then you start to craft on those things early on. You very, very, very quickly realize if it's if it's any good, right? If there's anything in it. Um, 
So that's one of the things that we do perhaps a little bit differently as 180, at 180. And one of the things that I think I, we brought in um, because it makes things more fun uh, and also because we, we can just move much faster is to get quicker into the making and the crafting. So we spend less time up front thinking about making stuff and actually committing to something and start making it. And then as we make things, new ideas arise. But awaiting, it's like, you know, you're a musician, right? Yes. So let's think about writing a song. I mean, should it be, should we like, or should we just get a guitar and start playing? Like, it's the same thing. You'll figure it out as you do it. And then you can have ideas that, that throughout this process that takes a twist and turn and, and, and makes, the, makes the original idea shape to become something very different. Yeah. And that's okay too. But if you get quickly into making it, you very quickly and forming it, it's very quickly uh, and, uh, that it becomes valuable to people. And craft, being interested in craft and being obsessive about it in one way or the other is, is important because it allows us. And so like craft, I, in my mind, craft isn't just the finishing touches, right? Craft is understanding of the development process. Yeah, the, right? di the discipline itself. The discipline itself. Yeah. So I'm reminded of um, with uh, speaking uh, briefly about writing and the written word. And if you want to become, say, someone who writes professionally for a living, not just a copywriter, but maybe a journalist, or maybe yeah. if if you if maybe if there are just things that concern you or that you mm -hmm. care about, anyone can open a medium account and just write essays or, as long as they like. And the um, American pragmatist William James had this idea that. Um, if he didn't know what to write about, he would write spontaneously off the top of, you know, off the top of his head. And uh, what he was concerned about would eventually emerge in this stream of consciousness. And so you could say that's the idea, right? If you, if you want to write something, you can just do your first draft, 5,000 words, just totally off the top of the head. But that's not craft. The craft then comes from, you've got to look at it, see where the ideas are, and then tighten it down to 500 words. Yeah. 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 It's all the same thing, really. I mean, that's really, like, we, we talk about writing, but you also described the process of, of uh, you know, making a beautiful statue from marble, right? Yes. You have a big slab, and you start shaping it, and then the stone kind of reveals the shape inside. You yeah. might have an idea of where it goes, but the stone itself and the material... I mean, it's there, it's physical, right? And words are also physical. When you put them on a piece of paper, that becomes the body of the thing that you're shaping. And um, yeah, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's really like, that's the really exciting piece of, of you know, being paid to create, right? Yeah. That's what we do, is that there are so many different bodies, so many different material and so many different, I guess, if you think about it, problems that you start with, Right, so a brief is a is a slab of marble. Yes. Right, and you have to kind of figure out. Well, most of it, actually, what's really quite interesting is this: is this the right slab to start with? That's also sometimes the question. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, that that is always a concern. That does happen often when, um, say, we're in our business and we are um, obsessing over how to nail the brief that the client has given us. And it took a long time before we even began to have the courage to think, have we actually got the right brief? Is this the right way to begin solving this problem? And that's the question. Is this the right slab of marble? Yeah. 
It was, um, I think, Michelangelo said, and I hope he said it, otherwise I've just nicked it from a film called The Agony and the Ecstasy. Michelangelo uh, had the idea that the sculpture is already in the marble and you're just releasing it from the marble. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was, a, he was a master, I guess, so we should, I, I think we should... If we're talking about craft, it helps that. to, yeah, listen to yeah. Michelangelo. Yeah, and, and, you know, but I think, I think also his hands and the way that he moved around this thing and the way that he looked at it and the way that the sunshine shone on it and the, you know, um, his deadline was looming and stuff. So, but uh, I, I wouldn't disagree with that, but I do think it, there's a difference between solitary creative work and trusting a group or being part of a, of, a, of a group. And that's where it gets really exciting. And I think um, there's this, I guess, um, to me, that's a big difference. And I, I love working with other people. I think that's really a tremendous. Like that's the thing that, like, if being part of the creative shaping and, and the creative process is is awesome and fun, then doing it with others is the thing that really. Uh, it's like jamming, you know, with with other people. Like yeah. that's the most. That's super fun, and just doing that is super fun. I think maybe sometimes we get a little bit obsessed with the idea that everything has to lead to something. You know, yeah. Like, there's value in just hanging out, and, yes. and I know you know you guys are professional music makers, and you make really great tracks and music and all that stuff. And but it's also sometimes it's just fun to to just hang out and make music. You know, without and that's and 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 I I think we're very lucky if we can bring that feeling into our everyday life, into our everyday work of like we're enjoying making this and something will be there at the end but the process is equally important so how do you how do you foster uh, and this is specifically within your department at 180 how do you foster the feeling uh that you are going to enjoy the process as opposed to having it be an anxious scramble to quickly please the client <laughs> this you're said and done isn't it yeah. um I, I think it's really just really important to kind of realize that the work would be much better if we, if we try to enjoy it, right? If we try to understand each other, if we walk into the office bringing in energy, um, if everyone walks into the office bringing in, bringing in energy, then it would be, a, you know, an awesome win-win situation. And it's, it's, I think that's, that's part of it too, being able to laugh. Again, let's create a safe environment where people feel excited about stuff. And, you know, I keep saying when we walk into the office, we haven't been into the office for like a year or something. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, so right now we're in the, the wonderful um, kind of uh, branded environment of Microsoft Teams and Zoom and whatever. Uh, but, I, but I can still feel that, you know, and I, I um, what do we do to foster it? I think it's about leadership. I think it's about, Listening, I think it's about being very clear about what it is that we need to get to and giving clear direction and steer, but but truly empower people to uh, internalize feedback and making it theirs and owning projects rather than just, um, and you know, it's just, and also realizing that some, some of our challenges would be the best work, you know, we lead to the best work that we've ever done and some of it won't. And that's okay too. And being able to, enjoy both of those things. And, and at the end of the day, you know, being going home and having a good night's sleep because we had a good time at work. I think that's really, it's just really important. And it's, listen, I think we're all striving towards that and we're trying to get to that. And some days on our best days, that's where we are. Um, 
and and but but sometimes for some individuals that doesn't happen you know i i can have bad days you can have bad days we can all have bad days but the the important thing is that when we come back to our group that group helps me through that group fosters it's not about me it's not about the creative directors it's about us i think you know if we, so if we all bring that energy it can happen that's another really um that's that's another uh, an issue that I'm drawn back to a lot is is within certainly uh, an agency like yours and a big agency. How do you make sure that the team are committed to uh, to creating the best work? Let's say creating the most divine work or the most beautiful without having too much of a concern about who exactly is responsible for which bit, you know, who gets the credit for what, where the idea started, who developed it. How do you, because uh, those, those things in, I think enormously interfere with the joy of the process. How yeah. do you make sure that we're enjoying it rather than scrambling for credit? You mean who's the front, who's the, who's the lead the singer and who wrote the song? Exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, we, we, I, what is the idea, right? I think, like I said, I think the idea often comes from the development of, and the craft of it, you know, usually you can, you can kind of track back to this person said that and, and then, but we own it together, right? So, I mean, we do a lot of exercises where we have, we both have small teams working on something, which is, you know, it's them and they're doing it. And then we have, from there, we have things which are called five-a-sides where we invite other people in to kind of spitball for a bit and we make decisions in the meeting and we move. It's a great way to get out a lot of ideas on the table and also a lot of their uh, um, initial ideas uh, that usually happens so to kind of uh, speed up the process. And then we do actually department-wide, we call it, we have uh, bonanzas, creative bonanzas on Fridays where we sometimes bring in quick briefs for you know, everyone, and that's like 40 minutes. People get, I usually put on like Dreams or something um, or, or another good track. You get two minutes to come up with ideas and then we go through everyone. So, I mean, of course, it's incredibly important to to be able to claim the work that you do. Um, and, um, uh, but also knowing that that idea is nothing unless it gets made by someone else. So, or by yourself. Um, so I think we're good at that. I just... Um, I, I don't think it's a good environment to foster if you just say this is only about the people that was on it. And, you know, it's just, it just creates a bad atmosphere. Yeah. You know, and I'm because, also, I'm, yeah. Well, ultimately you're serving the, you're, you, you're always serving your patron, aren't you? You're always serving your client. And uh, the, I suppose it's important to always keep what they want in mind throughout the process. Instead of getting carried away with instead of getting carried away with what you think it ought to be, I guess. Yeah. There's a balance to be struck. Yeah. And th- yeah, absolutely. And I think there are different ways to get to that. Sometimes it's very clear because you've worked with clients for a long time so you kind of know where it's heading. But again, I, th- I, I like the idea of bringing in a bit of uncertainty into it. And like, it's not about, you know, just ticking all the boxes. That would be... You know, that would be like insurance, if you will. Yes. Uh, so I think we have to, like, our job is not to do exactly what people want, I think. I, I think it's it's um, it's about listening and having empathy with their problems and then find solutions. Again, is it the right slab, you know, yes. to start with? And, and uh, ultimately, the people, of course, that our clients are ultimately the ones that we serve. 
But I think we do serve them best sometimes by challenging things, you know? Yes, because obviously the, uh, what's the delicate way of describing the issue? Um, if people on client side were the uh, best people to come up with the creative idea, then it would be all, all be done in-house. And so there's a reason that we... Uh, there's a reason that the creative agency exists. And so um, I suppose the the question would come down to how do you confidently and also <laughs> inoffensively suggest to the client that perhaps the idea that they think that you ought to be doing is not the idea you ought to be doing? Well, I, I actually, I listen, I, I, I've been part of, a, of projects where the idea has come from the clients and it's been great ideas. I think the reason why creative agencies exist is, is again to challenge the way we perhaps come up with ideas to that point, but also to how we develop them. We're very good at developing work to make it, uh, to make it more interesting and to understand how things move through culture and, and things like that. So that's, like that, you know, that's part of the value that we add. Um, I mean, hopefully you're in a place where you can have conversations with people, clients or not, where you can just, you know, understand why something needs to be done perhaps in a certain way and, and, and uh, what is it, what's the motivation behind this specific ask, you know? Again, it's like we, we have to have empathy. Our empathy to create great work needs to go further than just having empathy for the people we're making it for. If you think about making it for culture, for people to make work that exists in culture and that becomes successful in culture, our empathy also has to reach you know, into the clients and understand how we can make them very successful and, and make their companies and their product you know, um, hit, it, hit it off as well. So um, yeah, I don't know if that's answering your question. I really, I really think it just comes down to again, it's just just about creating trust and having empathy for, you know, what you, and uncovering the black swans, if you will, that make work work. The things that are behind the ask, you know, and sometimes sometimes it's really straightforward, forward, and other times it's not. Most clients are really interested, I feel, in, in making great work, um, and they're really interested in 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 um, in pushing the work and um, and then the question is what you know should maybe be about um, if you don't have the same sensibilities or the same ambitions but then I think it's our job as an agency to, to understand the sensibilities and the, and the, the ambition of our clients you know yes uh, and then push them from where they are rather than pushing them from where we are yes right? that's, like, that's the difference right yeah pushing them from where they are instead of pushing back against them from where you are yeah, I mean, you. I mean, if you work at a, if you work at a at a at any place that deals with creativity, you're always gonna. I mean, by definition, you should be ahead of, of a lot of other of your clients, right? Because they come to you to buy something. But so, you have to kind of find ways to join them where they are standing and help them, perhaps look yeah. at stuff from a different point of view. And that's kind of why they ask you to do things, right? It's not just about coming up with the ideas or develop the work. It's also about that. It's about, is this the right thing to do? And, and the experience that we bring is, yeah, it is. And then, 
uh, or it's not. You know, so I think it's 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 quite complex the relationship between a client and a, and a, and a creative agency. Yes, it's uh, not just it's not just like having artists for hire. No, I mean some. I I think it also comes down to to the client, right? How they want to use their shop, and and um, yeah, so it's it's always going to be a give and take. I think the best relationships are the ones that are open, transparent, where ambitions are aligned. Um, you know. Um, and, and again, it's the work that we do inside of the agency. How do we foster a great working relationship is the same thing, which is we share the same ambitions. We kind of we're open and, and, and honest to each other and we're having a good time. And, and um, we kind of have aligned visions as to what's good and what's not good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But this is one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you in the first place, because, you know, for the uh, for the benefits of the tape, we, we had a little pre- preparation call a couple of weeks back just to see, you know, how, how this was going to get on. And, and I sensed from you that you um, you take creativity. Uh, you don't you don't take creativity just to mean artistic expression. You, you know, you take it to mean the the the, the abstract things you could do everywhere like you say the the way you handle a relationship with the client you could have a new approach to that that's a creative idea the way that you know you conceptualize how to arrange the furniture in your house that could that's not just you know not just in an interior design sense but that's another thing that you could do differently to the way anyone else has done it you know uh, i suppose what i'm saying is that there's potential to uh, be creativity, which, uh, be, be creativity. There's potential to be creative, which we could define as coming up with novel and useful ideas everywhere, not just in you know the things that we already understand to be creative, like drawing and creating music and films. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose that was. I suppose that's a long preamble to say um, to say something like. How, you know, is that what is that? What, have I understood that correctly? Is is that what you're always trying to do to see a novel and useful approach to everything rather than just to think about the craft? Uh, sometimes you know the wheel is sufficient. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't reinvent everything. That's important, uh, and also because of priorities, right? You don't have an unlimited amount of time. You don't have unlimited amount of resource. Um, but I, I, I find it more interesting and exciting if you, if you look at the world and try to see, see it from a different perspective, you know, we, um, there, there's actually 180 is founded, I mean, our, it's founded around that idea of, of, um, not the world as it is, but as it could be. And I think that's really exciting, you know, because it kind of forces innovation. It forces us to think about, can we do things a little bit differently and, and, Sometimes that's big steps, sometimes it's small steps, but I think that step always has to be taken in one way or the other. So if creativity, creativity can be applied to anything. Um, um, it's interesting when people ask you what, what it is that you do. It's, uh, it's really hard um, to talk about it with people that are like true academics because they know how to, how to like research stuff and they, have, they know how to use these words. But applied creativity, <laughs> <laughs> is something that sounds really interesting and good. And it's it's really it's just harder to explain truly what it is. Mm. But I, I, I find I find often that applied creativity is is again find a framework, find the you know the blues that works for you and then apply it to whatever life throws at you, you know? Yeah. Um, and then be be certain that you are safe within that framework to 
perhaps create something new. However, this is important. There are a lot of great people out there that have already created great things. You don't have to change everything. Yes. So it's, I suppose, encouragement to see to try and have a good radar for what needs updating rather than uh, that it's more associated with the ego, isn't it? The idea that you need to update everything. I find, yeah, sometimes, absolutely. You know, and there are excellent tools out there. There are excellent, you know, the haiku. What, a, what an amazing, you know, way of putting words together. We don't have to update that. Let's make another one, but we don't have to make the haiku more haiku-ish, you know? Yes. So, um, and it's the... Like, listen, I, I, I think I think a lot of creativity is just application, right? It's like we we, we take the, the thing and we do something with it. So it's innovation, not invention. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to invent, like to make things totally anew. Yeah. Um, uh, it's easier to invent things in fiction, like the lightsaber or yeah. <laughs> things like that. But it's harder to, to, again, to develop it into something real. But then again, my understanding of the lightsaber from you know you know in the hands of uh luke skywalker is the most awesome way of looking at it and and i assure you if that was something that was come out today and i could buy it at at the store on the corner the way that i would wield it would not be as awesome so i don't know what i wanted to say with that but i I think that application of creativity and making things doesn't necessarily have to mean that you have to change everything it's really okay to enjoy stuff you know to look at something and go, wow, that's really exciting. Or you go, whoa, that really made me feel something. Yeah. And that's, I think, as a creative leader, those are the type of things that you kind of, when you're over the hump of making everything yourself, you kind of help other people find what they want to do. To be excited on others' behalf and see exciting things in the work that they do and help them find that, that's best feeling. You know, that's awesome. Um, you know, um, there's something that there's, there's two things that, that we need to, to branch out on. And so one is riffing on this theme of, you know, you don't always need to reinvent the wheel. And sometimes there are perfectly good ways of doing things. Combine that with the idea that often creativity does not come out of a blissful, harmonious situation, but is actually a necessary solution to a sudden and unexpected problem. So for, uh, the last hundred years or so, it's been accepted that there's a way that you work. Everyone goes to the office together and that's how you do the kind of work we do. And suddenly, pandemic, you can't do it anymore. You've got no choice. You have to think of another way to carry on working. Hence why the, you know, we're in this Zoom and Teams revolution, which uh, is, is, is also kind of sadly predictable because it's just like everything that was on Thunderbirds and, you know, the Jetsons and things like this, video communication. But, um, but that's the idea, right? It's like we, we had to apply creativity to how are we going to carry on working last year? Yeah. And, you know, I think we, we, uh, it hasn't really changed that much though, has it? We still talk. We're looking yeah. at each other. You're, you're really small though, compared to what you are in your life, I guess. Yeah. And you can talk to more people and being heard. I think it's become more structured a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm, it's interesting. I mean, I think questioning how we work is something there, there are good, good things and bad things about that. I think the structure of the work week came from like, and it's the same in the Muslim world, but they have a little bit of different days, but we work five days a week, right? We rest on Sundays when, when God, rested from making the world and mm-hmm. I, I was talking to someone the other day about 
um, <laughs> he told me about a, 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 a workers' party from the 1870s or something, and their demands was was I would I would guess very radical for the time. They they demanded one day of work, one day of recre, recreation, and one day no one day of work, one day of entertainment, and one day of, of rest or and then that would be the cycle. Which is if you imagine in the 1870s where people like went to church and like all that oh, stuff, yeah. like that's really odd, right? That's how do you deal with that? It's really hard to structure it around other things too, if everything was chaotic. So I think that systems by design, like our week, our work week, or going to an office, or working in a template, or on Monday mornings we have stand-ups, and whatever those processes are, um, are there to make things run smoother, you know? And then when you look at it on a, on a really big level, like there's 365 days of a year. There's like, there's all of these things, these blues frameworks that we can riff within. It's what we do within those frameworks that I think is really exciting. And sometimes you have to really bring a sledgehammer to it, you know, and, and redo things. I One of the things that we've done in 180, for instance, is this idea of, you know, moving moving quickly into making, which which I feel like a lot of, a lot of what we have been taught as creatives is to concept for a long time and then come and present two ideas or whatever. Yes. We want to get quickly to the, to the ideas to craft them. That's different. That's not a lot. A lot of agencies don't work that way. Uh, we work more like a, perhaps like a production company that way. And then we can, of course, we don't always do that, but it allows us to use our time to our to the benefit of our clients much better because we can actually develop stuff and we can pressure test things. And Instead test. of going for like sort of four or five weeks on concepting and then presenting and trying again and... Yeah, I don't even know if anyone does that anymore, but like the classic waterfall approach to stuff is ridiculous, you know? Um, I think there's been What's a the lot of- the waterfall approach, sorry? Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a way of looking at like things happen after sections and then at the end of it, you have finished product. But I think the way that we need to move, sorry, I got to let my dog out. Are you okay? <laughs> oh, he's okay. He's, uh, he has this yeah, rawhide that he's chewing on and I gave it to him so he would be quiet. Uh, um, no, I, I I think it's important to like the, the, there's no better process than when you can involve the clients early and you can have conversations about work and you can talk about stuff uh, rather than just present the black box and you know present stuff out of the blue and everything is super polished and and I feel like sometimes we stumble into that and, and anyway because of the need of of, of whoever but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we spend a lot of our time, um, I don't know, sorry, I kind of got lost a little bit there in my own reasoning, but that's, the, the whole point is don't, don't figure out what works, figure out the framework that, that works for you and then be free within that because it will really get you to where you need to go. I think if you fight against everything, if you have to like reinvent everything all the time, mm. it becomes a really chaotic environment. Yeah. And I think good design, again, just going back to friction, bad friction and good friction, I think good friction allows you to do things within a framework. Good friction allows you to, to, to create and be free within that because there are, there's safety nets around you that allows you to understand where you are in time and space, like the week, like the fact that I have a watch in my hand and it tells me I need to go home and have dinner, yes. right? Uh, but if you, if you fight against all, everything and being creative around everything, there's no... There's no like the 
the weekend is a pretty good, in, you know, invention, if you will, right? Yeah. Forces us to rest. Um, I think we can always do things better. Um, and I, that's, that's, I guess, what evolution is about, make things better. But some things we can in, make them incrementally better because they're already awesome. Um, and other things we need to throw out the window. The, diff, the, the difficulty is, of course, if you, if you, uh, if you go after everything, like it's, like it's a boxing fight, you know? Yes, if you're constantly in threat response mode, it's not the best mindset to go into things with. It, it, it presents a different type of problem. But that's, I, I would like to briefly, if we can, just expand on this idea of good friction and bad friction. Because I'll tell you why it interests me is because um, when, something is, uh, when something's really, really bad, it's really, really bad. It's poorly produced, bad craft, bad discipline, whatever. But when something's not really, really bad, but it also isn't really good. We say it's a bit too safe. It's a bit middle of the road. So yeah. it's to say that there's no friction there. And in my early days as a producer, I was constantly trying to produ- uh, trying to pursue a zero friction outcome so that you know your mix, let's say, has nothing that pops out above anything else. There's no dynamic range. Everything's very safe and in its box. And that sounds like it lacks good friction. You know, and so yeah, maybe help me understand that in a in a design context or or just more generally. So I think fundamentally, there are two different ways of looking at it. So what I mean when I say good friction and bad friction is good friction are the things that that makes you stick around for more, like a great hook or something. You know, that bass that just kicks off a little bit, and you know, like, like it does intrude on your kind of awareness, but in yeah. a good way. Yeah, and then there's bad friction, which is just bad craft or yeah. stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, it kind of so makes you go the bad friction and add the good friction. That's so you can do. You can put that on anything. That's music. That's writing. That's art. That's whatever. Uh, but I, but I it more generally, sorry, that's generally speaking. Then more specifically for marketing, I think unfortunately we are as an industry obsessed with removing friction because we think about optimization and we're thinking about where we're testing everything and the, the path to least resistance. The problem is when you're doing that, you're, you're, you're literally making vanilla. Yes. Right. So you, you, you have to all of these brands that, that the only flavor they make is vanilla and there's different types of vanilla, but it's still vanilla. Yeah. And most people like vanilla, but they never pick it. Yes. They, you know what I mean? So yes. that's the big difference. So I think when what's important is that we really have to like, we really have to, and it's really, it's quite difficult because it's always, it's always to make things shiny and to make things polished. And I think people um, sometimes confuse the idea of polish and high craft with removing friction, right? Yeah. Let's go back to the statues in marble. The fact that they were super polished doesn't hide the fact that there was a penis yes. half a meter downstairs. You know what I mean? <laughs> which yeah, which now the client would say, oh, just can we get rid of that? Yeah, can we just can you move the sandpaper a little bit down here? Uh, but the <laughs> like, or or the fact that they were you know fighting a dragon, or you know, there's friction in those things because of the context, or because of the the, the story around it, or because who they were, or whatever, right? So friction has many different ways of, of but friction is like, literally the thing that keeps us on the road like there's friction yeah. in the wheels of the cars friction is important if there isn't friction we would all be just be flying out into space and if you look at that's that's of course a really kind of a um, uh, 
I guess, a general way of looking at it. Uh, but uh, at the at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to things to make them for someone, you know. Mm. So someone actually thinks that it's interesting, but not for everyone. Uh, that's that's where you get you turn into a problem, right? Yeah. Because as soon as you need to make it for everyone, by definition, you're making it for no one because you are making vanilla, and no one picks vanilla. Like, I, yeah. I, have you ever been to to an ice cream? Like, let's go for an ice cream, and you're there. With, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, you have you know, no one's going to pick vanilla. Yeah, especially if you're in one of those great Italian places with a hundred flavors. I don't know anyone who picks vanilla, but still, if you ask people, it's the one that they dislike the least. Right? There's yeah. always a lot of other flavors that they hate. Vanilla is never on the hate list, but it's never really on the yeah. That's what I'm going to have. So, so it's vanilla like- is a little. You know, but you don't see the ice cream shops, you know, having a huge batch of vanilla because they know that that's that's the thing that has that, that most people don't dislike. No, that's that's that. I think that analogy. I think we need to expand this into a piece for campaign or something and put it in the trade papers because that concept is exactly it. It's like. Uh, you're trying to open an ice cream store and you, uh, one of your flavors is mint chocolate chip. A lot of people don't like it, which means in a sense, it didn't test well. So we're going to get rid of yeah. that one and you can start doing that with every flavor because I find chocolate ice cream really boring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so what you were describing there, to me, if I can try and see if I can put my own needle into it, was that you shouldn't be trying to minimize dislike. You should be trying to maximize like, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and that's really hard when you're a big global brand and you know across seventy markets because all the markets have different needs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm not saying it's easy. I just say it's it's vital. Yes, you know. And what's <laughs> vital is often not easy, and, sh- yeah. and shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some some vital things like breathing is automated, so that's easy, or it should come easy. But what we do, and what people pay us money to do, I guess, and, and what we try to help with our clients is. And that's where, like, that's a big difference between making work for global audiences, which is even larger than, a, say, a UK audience or a Dutch audience or a Swedish audience or, or for the US, for that matter, mm-hmm. because you have so many more um, divergences of thought and mind, like people are thinking different things. So you become even more vanilla. So that's the a great marketeer or a great client understands that and a great, great client takes that into account. Mm-hmm. So you, you think about you start to think about psychographic over demographic. You start to think about what what what's the thing that people like rather than what is it that we don't like. So, and it's tricky. I mean, it's tricky every time. Every time it's a new challenge, but it's also what makes it exciting, I think, and also what makes it really important to to do a lot of good research up front and be really empathetic with who you're making your ice cream for in the first place. You know, and um, yeah. Yeah, why are you making ice cream? If you uh, don't 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 lose sight of that on the way, there's probably some spark of inspiration that's important. I mean, the interesting thing is like the um, sometimes we spend a lot of time in in the just to keep going with this analogy of ice cream. So I love ice cream, but we spend a lot of time in the kitchen, right? We make the perfect vanilla, perfect mm. batch of vanilla, and then we put it out there, and no one buys. <laughs> yeah, but it's like I put so much hard work in into the, it. They were more interested in like the five, you know, the five cent you know, popsicle made from homemade lemonade that the two seven-year-olds are selling down on TikTok, you know? But then it's also important not to go, all right, well, now everyone likes lemonade. Let's just get into the lemonade market and make loads of that. That's the risk, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, I was I was hoping we could take your um, analogy into a, into a, in a musical direction and I might get, it's, this is a statement that lots of people may disagree with, but I'm going to go for it nonetheless. Um, 
with regards to the vanilla, no one dislikes it, but very few people like it. Uh, I've sometimes wondered if the Beatles are nobody's favorite band, but everyone thinks they're the best band, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, everyone knows they're the best songwriters, let's say. But if, when asked, who's your favorite band? Few people say the Beatles. Now, I, I maybe you're going to be one of the people who say that, you know, is the case. And obviously, Noel Gallagher is certainly amongst them. But... Uh, Maybe that, that 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 applies. Once something is so universally liked, it also then starts to decrease in its importance. Mm. I think so. I mean, but like, listen, I I don't. I think Beatles uh, in the at the height of their career was very much liked, right? Because you have to think. You, I think you have to consider the context of everything. Mm. So. Um, I think you were either wasn't it? You were either a Rolling Stones fan or a. Beatles fan, right? Yes. Wasn't that the, the big the big thing in, yeah. in England? Yeah. Um, and in, in Sweden, certainly Beatles was a huge band uh, in the in when they were you know active. Um, I think it's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna humor. I mean, of course, I mean Beatles is not my most favorite band, but I think that a lot of the work that they've done as artists and as musicians has influenced some of the work that I listen to, and I think it's incredible, right? Mm -hmm. um, so just because I don't understand the context of something or because they seem out of date doesn't make them awesome. Uh, it's really it's really a difficult one. I saw one that is very into Beatles is, I think, did you see that James Corden when he was with uh, Paul McCartney and the... Doing his carpool around? karaoke. Oh, my God. When, when they were singing, uh, I think it was Let It Be Together and, and Corden was almost breaking down in tears, you know? Yeah. Like, there's something about... And, and I, I, yeah, there's something about these guys, though, like who's ever made amazing art in the past. It's like you can, it's easy to look at them and, and go, ah, but then when you're in their presence and they actually perform, there's, it's, there's something pretty remarkable about that. Yeah, I had the privilege of seeing Paul Simon a couple of times. Wow. And uh, yeah, one was one was really good. It was in a really small theatre in Manchester, uh, the Apollo. So that you know, that's never going to happen again. Basically, that was great. But um, on his farewell tour, he performed uh, "Bridge Over Troubled Water," which I think he rarely did because it was very much associated with Garfunkel's voice, the big soaring kind of yeah. soprano esque. Yeah. Thing. But uh, interestingly, at the arena when he was performing before he performed it, he described it as something that arrived in his mind rather than he created. It's like it was projected there by an external force. It was really interesting to hear that he didn't take credit for the composition of it. And I think that sometimes is, and maybe the most meaningful creative projects are the ones that you feel like you discover them as you go along rather than they come out of your, you yeah. know, I don't know what. Yeah, and didn't Bob Dylan say something similar, right? Where he is like an antenna or something and he just yes. happens to like funnel it or channel it into these amazing pieces of music. It's the same metaphor Quentin Tarantino used for his dialogue because he's known for his dialogue. He says he said exactly that. It's like holding out a radar and it comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think also wasn't it Burroughs or some of those like beatnik poets, Ginsburg and those guys who were like cutting up words and rearranging them and it just happened, right? Mm. Jackson Pollock is another one where art just happened, you know? Yeah. And and um, and, and again, you know, going back to the statue that's hidden inside of the marble, like maybe that was what he was talking about as well. I don't know. Um, and, and maybe that's the case. I, I, it's interesting with, the, with these guys, and, and it's, it's, all of them are men, unfortunately. But the, 
I mean, not unfortunately, but but it, it would be amazing to have an, have um, have other types of of of, of, of um, examples as well. But one thing that kind of speaks to them is that they're all kind of very singular, right? Mm. They're all individual. Mm. Like I know Simon and Garfunkel, you mentioned. Well, he didn't do it much because there was Garfunkel. It was associated with Garfunkel's voice. It, they're all kind of like big egos. <laughs> like I, you know. You don't hear Axel Rose, you know, you don't, you know, you don't hear these guys like, yeah, you know, I'm making it with the band. But then you have someone like Springsteen, who's very, right, who's very, um, I guess, reliant on the E Street band, right? Or the band, yes. right? Well, the E Street band, no, where it called? That's East right, the E Street band, yeah. Um, and uh, th that a lot of the making happens in the studio together, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I th it's a really interesting... Um, what is it? What is creativity? Where does it come from? How does it shape on the... I think in advertising, you don't really have the luxury of, of thinking too much about it because you're on to the next brief, to be honest. Yes. Yeah. But that's... See, this is one of the things I was, you know, hoping we could drill into, which is the, you know, the idea of surrendering to unknown forces and not attempting to predict or measure things too much. I'm... I'm I, I am endlessly fascinated by ideas that get suggested in a metaphorical form in fiction and you mentioned the lightsaber before and interestingly no one who isn't a jedi can wield a lightsaber there's something about their particular way of thinking that makes them worthy of this thing and um similarly i suppose uh so so that's 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 an idea that's uh, suggested it's like why is it the case that you know you have to be a certain type of person to wield the sword I suppose it comes up in King Arthur as well or even more recently I watched Thor for the first time the other day and it's the same idea he's not worthy right. of wielding the hammer until he has proven himself responsible and disciplined yeah well it, I think uh, I think we, we we maybe it's about worth I don't know are you worthy to do this thing is it um are you righteous? I don't know. Is it a Christian thing to start with? I don't know. Um, but I think well, a lot of creativity comes from places where you've never known that they existed before. It seems really like a lot of these stories that are idolizing the, the Jedis or whatever it is, right? They, I think what they're trying to do is, is there's a certain type of virtues that are there and they're good. And only if you live by those are you good enough to do this thing that can help everyone else, right? So yes. Yeah. But I, it's a, it's quite limiting to think that only the worthy can do good, you know, or to, or can change things. I think we've seen over and over again that it's the small gestures by normal people, you know, like you and me or whatever that, or whoever, you know, the neighbor to a neighbor helping someone across the street or just reaching for a pack of milk for someone who can't do it, whatever. Those small gestures add up to much more than the major brand things that you can do with a sword. That's you know? Yeah, so, that's really interesting that because uh, I've always, uh, no, no, I've not always, that's stupid, but I've more recently felt like the grand stories are, are trying to inform you on an individual level. So, you know, I suppose in the West, the, the biggest one over the last thousand years or so has been Christianity. And the idea is like, here's someone who's literally a God. How can you be more like them? And what I thought was a really, really interesting 
answer to your question, which was, are those stories only the reserve, or are they only intended for, let's say, these larger-than-life characters, these things that are like superheroes on Earth? I don't know if you saw the Pixar movie Soul at the start of this year? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a remarkable riposte to that solution, saying that there is heroism in ordinary everyday life. It was trying to remind us that you're not being called upon to be a god, you're being called upon to be cliche as it sounds the best you can be and 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 I was deeply affected by that movie because as a teenager I'd possessed that same arrogance that the the lead character has in soul saying you know it's like no no I have a more of a reason to live because I'm a musician I've got this cool you know vision everyone else just does normal stuff and it was Pixar of all people saying no the normal stuff is more important yeah I mean it's an extraordinary film isn't it it's mm. it's been a good it's been a bad year for a lot of things but not for Film. I think we've seen, we've had time to look at new things like soul, but also old things that remind us of good things. But the idea that I don't know what the, I think we all go through life looking at, like it's tough, right? It must have been tough back in the medieval times and it must have been tough during the black, you know, during the plague in London. And it's tough now, but still we managed to come through. And I think we managed to come through not because of big heroic acts by the few, but by the small things, by the many, you know? Um, and and um, it, that's very important. And, you know, just to circle back to what we said about how do you build, how do you foster an environment that is, you know, safe or good for people? I think it starts with that. It just starts with realizing that it's not about who can you know, pull out the sword from the stone or wield a hammer or whatever. It's about us and it's about how we interact and how we have empathy with each other. That's it, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting that I, the last um, the last discussion I had, I think the last one I had on this podcast was with uh, Hermeti Ballerin, a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was saying something very similar to you, which was that, you know, when uh, he and Anna got made partners there, the primary challenge was to uh, reorganize the culture so that people primarily enjoyed coming to work. And uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting that people would not assume that you have to make that effort. People think, ah, advertising, it's cool, you get to make art for a living and all, you know, it's it's associated with this really glamorous lifestyle or was at one point. And uh, then it's like, no, we have to make extraordinary effort to make sure people like coming to work. I mean, it's um, one of the hardest pieces, I think, about working in advertising, um, cre- creative or any other department, is that you live, you're in a constant you're living a life of rejection, mm. right? You're even, you have a worse batting average than in baseball, you know, where the, the pitcher and the batter and constant fight, but you come up with so much work and you're so excited about this stuff and very little of it gets made. So it's like, um, you have to, I mean, I, I think that's amazing that the focus is on creating an environment where, where people enjoy going to work, right? If more places did that, and trusted the fact that we've hired all these great people out now, like make them have a good time. You know, it mm. seems simple, but it, it really isn't because there's a ton of stuff that gets in the way of that happening. So you have to make an effort. Um, and I, I think it's both about superficial things like let's have a drink to, you know, just having conversations with people and, and talk about things and, and being open about stuff 
but it, it can, I think, I don't think happiness can be designed or, and I think happiness is, a, is, a, is an old measure, but I, uh, but I do think that having a good time, did you enjoy today? Did, are you enjoying what you're doing? Rather than the result of enjoyment, which is I'm happy or whatever. Yes. Did you enjoy this? That's very important. Um, the idea of, of, of when we do our work, it's not just because the work's supposed to be awesome at the end of the day and sell a bunch of whatevers. That's important, but that's only a part of it. The other parts are, did you have a good time? Did we learn a bunch of stuff? Is the client happy? Did we make money? Right, and all of those things are, are are equally important because it's not just a race to the best idea executed in the best possible way. Mm. That's that's too easy in a way, yeah. right? Because if you if you only have that in your mind, you're going to crush everyone around you, and you're going to have a. It's going to be hard to run a company that way. You have yeah. to, and I guess that's the word with the C word culture, right? Some companies have figured it out, others haven't, and I. It really just comes down to I think in the end of the day, it's just. Let's have a shared ambition. Let's do awesome things with people that are awesome. And let's trust them to be who they are, you know? Um, yeah. That trust thing, that trust again, that comes up in uh, comes up in, in the f- sort of fictional works, uh, mythological stories we were talking about earlier. This idea continually returns that there still has to be an element of faith. You still have to be able to leave some things in the hands of the unknown so again going back to star wars you know uh, um at the end it stays with us forever that luke cannot uh hit his target unless he actually turns off his targeting device and actually yeah. gives himself over to you know destiny and for some reason we all remember that and we have no idea what it means but it's like stop yeah. obsessing over trying to make sure you can't fail yeah. again yeah. the same thing happened in the, the final batman film with christian bale he had to make the jump across a very very large fatal gap without a rope to save him in order to do it yeah i mean uh and and you know when you when you say that I saw that scene the the Star Wars one in front of me and it's 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 incredible how great filmmakers and great novelists or whatever it is novelists you have the film playing in your head but with a film as a reference you can't unhear it like I, I keep thinking about do 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 you know the the way that the soundtrack takes a turn for kind of solitude. Right, it's the one instrument kind of version of of the theme, right? Isn't it? Yeah, with the French horn, where you've got you and McGregor yeah. in the distance. and it's just the one, it's it's just the one instrument to carry the orchestra, to carry the world. And if this one instrument, one false note, or you know, one breath missed, or one beat off, you're you're screwed, right? Then the world will explode and, and everything will yeah. die. But thank God. Thank God for people that have big lungs and can carry through, right? And trust themselves in, in the and um, and yeah, it's it it really it, I think it really comes down to um, we have to just trust the we have to trust ourselves. When we trust ourselves, we can enjoy together, and it's okay to. I listen. I think I think when I say we have to trust ourselves, I don't necessarily think that we have to have great self confidence and, mm. and not have imposter syndrome because who doesn't, right? Uh, but I think we just have to trust ourselves that we're safe in this environment to be who we are. Um, and that's how we can enjoy things. If we're constantly yeah. hiding or if we're constantly trying to trying to be to, to be something we're not, you know, um, then it's very difficult to enjoy the moment. 
you know, even a thing like this, like podcast like this, right? We're sitting here having a conversation. I'm worried about how do I look? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the things that are coming out of my mouth? Do they make any sense? You know, and some 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 of them will and some won't. And that's okay, I think. You know, yeah. I think most you know, hopefully most will. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Are we enjoying this? I think that's the so you, you mentioned before the conversation we had before this, right? A couple of weeks back. And I think that was the important thing is let's enjoy this conversation. It's an hour of our time or whatever. Like, and we can't get it back, but we can make something really useful by it, by having a good time and talking about stuff that kind of matters, music and creativity and things. And, um, and, and yeah, that's a way to enjoy it. Right. But we couldn't have done it if we walked in with helmets on and a script and a script and, and bullet points and and, and rehearsed kind of way of going after it. I, I've always, I've always loved just riffing stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, that's why I've always been terrible at going up on a stage, you know, and, and doing like a 20 minute presentation. I just don't, I just don't feel comfortable with that setting. I, um, and it's also not forgiving, you know, everything is on you, the spotlights, you have an audience, but you know, one day I will. One day I'll do it, and then it's going to be good because I'm well, going to be more comfortable in doing it. That's it. And well, yeah, comfort is the main thing. And I think, as is the case with this podcast, there's an illusion that there's a way to do it. That sounds um, facetious, but um, people are often surprised by how well this venture is going. And um, I. I'm 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 not I'm not surprised, but not in an arrogant way. Not to say it was destined to be very you know good and very meaningful for the people we talked to. It's because of the fact that there's no script. It's because we turned off the targeting computer, yeah. and when we were first concepting, it was at the start of the lockdown last year because we needed something to do because the work was starting to disappear. Yeah. And so I said to Hugh at uh, Mullen Low, who who helped me out with the, with the you know the the name of it amongst other things. I said I don't want to give it a structure. I don't want it to be about oh, I'm going to talk to this person about this thing and there was a pushback saying well then it's just going to be flabby conversation but you know people are more engaged when we're just feeling our way through it together right and i think the same could apply to the public speaking thing i think we always imagine i've got to have a 20 minute script and what if it's not 20 minutes it's you know you it's possible to free associate and for that to still go somewhere i mean that's what we've been doing for the last you know few few million years so yeah and you know i think some people are excellent at it they're incredible they love it it's the best thing ever that's ever happened. And, and as an audience, you sit there and you go like, oh, ah, you know, the, the Ted way of, of, of doing things and just gripping an audience with this amazing insight um, is, is fantastic, you know, and I'm sure they're enjoying being up on the stage and some are terrified. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, but if you do it without a script, it's more like a high wire act, right? It's more like watching someone on the tightrope because you could get lost and then suddenly you get stage fright and where was I? But yeah. the great ones are the ones who can do it with, without the net. Yeah. And I think like, this is, this is super interesting. Like just sitting and talking to people about stuff is really interesting and it's kind of low investment in a way because you can just be yourself and that's fantastic. And then of course you have the big stuff where you go up and you do a presentation or whatever. And that's all about being prepared. You know, you, you really, really, really uh, practice and, and, and think about what you want to say. So it makes sense. Um, and it's that's also why writing is interesting because you can prepare all your thinking and it flows and you can edit and you can make mm-hmm. it perfect. Um, 
But there's a rawness in this forum, right? There's a rawness in not knowing that we're recording and that's, there's a rawness of having a dog chewing a bone. And There's a good stuff. friction. There's, there's good friction, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not to say that what's been, you know, I think that what's been designed properly as speech or, or whatever can also be, has have a lot of friction. Um, but personally, the, the intimate setting of a conversation I've always hated birthday parties, for instance. I, I've always enjoyed dinners yeah. where people can sit and have conversations with others around the table. Um, and, and, but parties where... where Designated you know, happiness. Yeah, it's difficult. You have to celebrate right? today. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. And, 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 you know, and I think this is maybe some, another thing, like this doesn't feel that different from what we do at work, you know, when we're having conversations with our, you know, in the teams about the work. Or when we have the big meetings on Fridays where we're sometimes 40, 45 creatives talking and, and we're talking about our work, we're talking about our weeks, we're talking about the one thing that made this week awesome, or whatever it is, whatever the question is that we're bringing up on Friday mornings. Um, yeah, Tomorrow morning, for instance, we have, because this is recorded on a Thursday, so tomorrow morning we're going to do a big brief and just five minutes of everyone's time just come up with one or two ideas it's really fast and it's super fun. And then everyone like that's, I think, how do you nurture something rather than how, yeah. And how do you foster something, right? It's by repetition and by, by providing the safe space over and over and over again. It's not about yes. what you do. It's the context that you provide, I think. Right. Right. Not and, about what you do, but the context that you provide. Yes. So I think fostering great kids or fostering anyone <laughs> fostering great friends fostering great friendships rather or fostering great relationships with anyone is about the safety you provide for them to be themselves right yeah. not what you tell them what to do it's not so that's about, in, yeah well i was in, i was interested in something that's interested me for a while is because you said it's a now, my short-term memory is getting worse because I'm getting older, but... Uh, <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> I know, right. I can't even uh, remember the question you asked. Well... Like, what did he say again? <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't come across, but um, I suppose you were talking about letting people be who they are. Yes. And one bit of tension I find interesting at the moment is the relationship between... What is it? People's... People's essence... And discipline. What I mean by that is, especially sort of in, in in creative training in art schools and such at the moment, I feel like there's a bit of a um, a bit of an emphasis on be who you are. Don't worry about constraints and disciplines and what people have already established, which you could argue for saying what we said before about if you know where you're going, it's someone else's road you're walking down. But then at the same time, you know, as we said, you need the constraints and you need the discipline. And I worry that there's maybe a little bit too much of an emphasis at the moment on just be you and don't let anyone tell you what to do and not enough of an emphasis on learning the craft and the discipline and, you know, how you balance those two things. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, um, I haven't really come across that, I think, with the, um, I guess that's the beginning, right? When you walk into a school and you, 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 determine that I want to go into a career within this specific field or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, like, what do you need? What, what's a good launch pad? I think that's, it's a really interesting question. I, 
I don't know if that's good or bad, but I, I think if we can teach people to be open and empathetic and curious, mm-hmm. and rather than just saying you're the best, your idea is the best, stick to your guns. Yeah. That's that's the recipe for disaster, I think, if that's what's happening, because when you you're in for a rude awakening, you know, you walk into an environment where it's all about collaboration and 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 um, trusting trusting the group to be better than the individual, you know. Um, and I think maybe what they're maybe what they're doing then is what they're saying is you should trust that you are that you have value to bring to the table, mm-hmm. and and that's awesome, you know. I think if we can teach our newcomers to understand that actually the perspective that you bring is much more important at that time in your career, the the freshness and the openness and the empathy of just starting out and being really curious about how you can add your specific and individual unique way of thinking about stuff. Obviously, you're not going to be great at craft at that time. You're going to be in the beginning of something. I mean, if we can if we can teach people that, or at least allow them to think like that, then we have a lot, you know, a lot yeah. to gain. Because I think wherever you, so you're going to go into the next school, which is going to be the first agency you work at or the first place you work at, right? And they will have different ways of doing stuff. And you never stop learning. You're always going to be in school. So um, you mentioned yourself as a young, young musician, you know, thinking that perhaps the way that what you did was really important because of you were a musician, et cetera. I mean, I think I was also very cocky um, uh, in my early days and, and sometimes probably can still be, um, but my kids take me down very quickly. So <laughs> I get over it. But the, um, I remember when I worked at Wyden and my first week at Wyden, you walk in and you think you're really good because Wyden hired you. And then you realized, holy shit, I'm at Wyden and everyone's so much better than I am, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, that's a really interesting, I think it's important to believe in yourself that you can do something because otherwise you become paralyzed. But I, but I also think it's, it's just being open to that other people are most likely better than you are. Yeah. If, <laughs> and that there's a lot to learn, you know? If you've just um, jumped into a big pond. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're articulating, I suppose, the difference between potential and reality. It's like you should be aware, be aware of your potential. That's a good thing. You have lots of potential, but yes. don't confuse that with what, with something that already exists. Like your potential is, ju- is, is what makes you amazing and you don't have to do anything to, re- to realize it. Listen, and I think that's tying back to like jumping around to mm-hmm. when people leave, they get frustrated maybe their idea about who they are doesn't kind of click with where they are in yeah. in the agency or in the environment that they find themselves working in. Mm-hmm. And people think that they are at a different level or, but most of the time there's a, there's going to be a day to day and the way that the machine works within any workplace, right? That you come in, you work, you prove yourself, you gain the trust of, of people around you, of your clients and then you grow in that. And if you don't give that time, so that's one of the things. If there's if there's one thing that we can we can say is to like have patience, um, have have as much patience patience as you can muster, you know. And and um, it's um, the, the it really isn't revolving around your opportunity to do the best work. Like that's not going to be the thing in the beginning. Yeah. So 
I mean, you're super lucky if you can do amazing work and, and, and come out swinging. That's awesome and good for you. But for most people, that's not the reality. The reality is that there's going to be a lot of learnings, you know, and, and, and stuff. And that's, again, it comes down to like, if you, if you buy that and you realize that, then that's, you can actually start to enjoy that. Like, it's really interesting, this thing that I've never experienced before. Um, rather than, you know, I didn't get my 15 second cut exactly as I wanted it or whatever, you know, um, and that's, it's two different approaches to life. And I think one really leads to not being enjoying so much perhaps. And the other one leads to a greater understanding and, and more enjoyment. And, um, um, it took me a long time to figure that out, to be honest, it's really hard to, um, and I think a lot of creatives and a lot of people, and, and I don't know, I don't know about you, but the idea that um, what you have to say perhaps isn't as, as good as someone else is tough, right? Or what you make isn't as good as this other person. Um, and then sometimes you will be the one who makes the best thing. And I think you have to realize that it's moving a little bit like this as well. And it's ups and downs and, and uh, um, yeah, it's the tough life, I think. And as a creative, coming into the creative advertising um, and trying to be creative, like the definition of what we do. And I don't, so that's another thing. I think I'd, people that have that a title as creative or a creative art director, a creative copywriter, I think we're all creative, right? It might be called the creative department, but I think focusing on a craft and being good at that craft as a writer or as an artist, then you can be doing other things as well, but you have one thing that you're trying to get to because that's the thing that's going, that's your key. That's your tool. That's your ex way to express yourself, right? So that's important. I think craft's important. There's been a lot of people that I think show ideas and show work that are like um, um, post-it note creatives. You know, they just like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a duck and we set it on fire and we threw it out a window and then we take out the fire with the product and you go, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and maybe, yeah, and, and and there's there's very there's a lot of just freeform jazz also that sounds like crap. Yes. You know, that shouldn't have been recorded. And I think the equivalent is that most of the stuff that we do that just is freeform or free flow or whatever in our creative process isn't good and it shouldn't be. It's there for it's like creative air. It's there. And that's what, for instance, getting to a five aside where you quickly get get those ideas out on the table quickly. You do a huge creative bonanza with a lot of people coming in is to get that that hot air out of the room so we can get to the things that's hidden behind it you know quicker um and when it, so maybe the post-it notes and the create the creatives that work on post-it notes the ones that are the creative i am a creative at the creative agency um and i i don't really know how to art direct and i don't really know how to write that's really difficult for them, I think, because we're not, and, and, and I think maybe the difference is also between agencies. Some agencies have big studios where you as a, you know, you can stand behind someone else who's doing the work um, and tell them what to do. Um, but most places aren't like that. And I don't think that luxury is going to be around much longer. I think you have to be a maker. I think you have to do things. You can't just come up with ideas and post-it notes and have other people do it for you. Why do you think you know? uh, that that's not going to be around for much longer? Well, I think just because of efficiencies uh, and and just because of pressure on money and whatever from clients is that uh, the, the, the more 
um, the more resilient you, organizations you can create with people that are doing things and making things and not having to rely on other people making things, it's just going to be more efficient organizations. And you're also going to have more fun, I think. So I see I see what you mean there, actually. Yeah, if, if you are the conceptor, but you can't draw, so you have to get someone else to draw the concept. You know what I mean? It's like, you can't say... Yeah. If you're just, I have a great idea, I need other people to make it, automatically that's two people not doing the job of one necessarily because there are people who can con create great ideas without being able to execute them, but they're few and far between. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really tough. I think so the schools that perhaps are focusing more on just like creative thinking and stuff. I think that's okay as long as you kind of understand that you have to, the application is important. Mm -hmm. You know, and execution and craft is important. You have to be interested. And then not to say that writing and art direction is the only way to go. There's a lot of other ways to be creative and to craft your creative. Um, but yeah, I think that's the only, I guess that's the only thing that's in, that I've seen from the schools that are coming out. Less so about people thinking that they're you know, we haven't really hired people that like that, that think that they're so important and all that stuff. So we haven't really seen much of it. But um, I have seen quite a lot of people who, who have, you know, half-baked ideas, but plenty of them. Um, and the way that the schools work is more about just coming up with stuff rather than applying it to real-life situations. So yeah. then, hence you get, a, you know... A, setting fire to a duck and throwing it out a window. It's got no, it's got no relevance to anyone. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it's, um, we've done uh, about an hour and a half here. And as ever, as is always the case, Cal, there's about another four or five hours left in the tank. Uh, we could easily go on for much longer. I hope, I mean, I am, I am crossing my fingers that when, um, you know, international travel is a bit less risky and, and is a bit more, you know, possible that we'd be able to come over to Amsterdam. We'll do this thing for real in the real room. We'll see how the discussion changes when you don't have the uh, perils of the internet to contend with. Because that's one thing that this new way of working might have done for us. We'll see. We'll see what changes back to the status quo afterwards. But it may have taught us to listen a little bit better. Because as you can see from these conversations, as is happening right now in front of us, it has to be turn-based to some degree. It's much more difficult for me to read when you are about to say something and stop. So you'll say it. There's a there's a slight time delay. There's a, a there's a bit of hesitation on both sides. So I'd be interested to see how this would be different in the room. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's really difficult, right, to jam when we're that, this far away. Um, yeah, I'd love that. I think that'd be super cool. You have to hit us up if you come and, come and hang out and we can do it all over again. Yeah, um, we and, figured out uh, that it's cheaper for us to get to Amsterdam than it is to get to London from where we are. Oh, really? Where, yeah. Where are, you, where are you then? We're in Manchester, and so ah. a, a train to London is about 80 quid, and we found out a flight to Amsterdam is less than that. And uh, absolutely. I mean, why don't you guys come over? We'll, we'll, we'll have a gas. Yes, we will certainly do that. But uh, yeah. we'll see what, we'll see what uh, happens in the world between now and then. Uh, obviously, you are not at liberty or not, sorry, not obliged to discuss anything that's sensitive. But have you got any uh, thoughts about when 180 will be returning to a more traditional way of working, uh, more in-person or what the future holds for your department? I mean, I think it's just, um, we're just looking at, I mean, I don't think the, the Netherlands is in a, 
is in a great state uh, just yet to do that. I think it's just about when it feels when it's safe and the numbers are down and we're starting to um, to get back in. I think people are excited about it. Um, some people will have more hybrid work um, kind of schedules than others, and other people will be more into the office. Like I said, we have a lot of people that don't have family here and are from other places and can't wait to get back into the office, etc. And, and um, if, if anything, I think a lot of people who wanted to try to work from home have had their share now yes. and would love to be back in, in into the office. Uh, we have a few people that are vital uh, that has to be in to do things that need that can't be done from from elsewhere. But besides that, it's uh, we're really trying to um, to 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 just be really uh, mindful about it. I mean, it's better, really better to be safe than sorry, right? And and uh, we've we've been, I think we've been figuring this out pretty well uh, over the past year. It's just I have to say, it's getting a little tedious, and and I really miss. I really miss people, you know, it's like yeah. it's your friends and your, you know, your, your people, <laughs> if you're not around your people, then, then, uh, I mean, there is, know, a, there is a poignant statement, missing. isn't there's a, there's a poignant, poignant statement in there, isn't there? And so far as, you know, often you say, I miss you to an individual, I miss you specifically, but there's a far more, uh, sort of bittersweet connotations of saying, I, just, I miss people, you know, just as a whole. Yeah, I do miss people, yeah. but I also miss my people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't. I mean, it's interesting because there is a there is a distinction, right, between. I think I think we have really strong culture at One Eighty, and I think a lot of we've grown quite a lot in the past year actually during this pandemic, and it's a lot of people that we've hired that never experienced that. They've never experienced our office or what it's like to be in the office on a or to go on a, you know, on a Friday after after work together yeah. or to, you know, that hasn't. And to me, that. It's really, they must, their, you know, relationship with, with 180 is different from everyone who's ever worked there. So it's going to be super cool to see how they, what they bring with them and, and how we are going to evolve as a culture, re- retaining what's awesome, but also kind of getting to, getting to a place where um, new perspectives add to the old, you know. It's funny, there's going to be, there, there is going to be a lot of, uh, relationships that were established, as you say, over, over video calls during this pandemic. Yeah. And then, you know, you're going to meet people for the first time and it's going to be unusual because they're going to be taller than you expected or shorter or something yeah. that is not always <laughs> in the same, you know, I've, I've never seen you from profile, for example, sideways. Off. Oh, well, there, yeah, there it is. That's there, the silhouette there right there. <laughs> so yeah. we'll uh, screenshot those so everyone knows what Carl looks like in profile. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be weird, and yes. you can already imagine some cliched idea coming out for an advert for a bank, probably or something like of you know the imp- uh, the t- trying to trying to dramatize the moment that people come back into the office and oh, all marveling at each other. But uh, yeah. I think the real thing's going to be good. Yeah, I think so too. Sorry, my dog is starting to get it. You can say hi to him here. I have to pick him up because it's. Uh... They were having a gas with. What's what's the dog called? This is Louis. We're having a gas with Louis as well. Yeah, yeah. Louis, he's upset about something. He's hearing some noises outside, so I had to pick him up. Yeah, he's uh, he's also. I mean, he used to be in the office a bit, and um, now he's been home for a year. It's kind of really interesting to see. We've been in a few times, and he's been having quite a good, good, good. He really likes being in the office, and that's the other thing is that we had like eight dogs already, and I think uh, there's been quite a few. Uh, additions to those eight dogs that were already there. 
it's going to be chaos. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so and it'll be interesting to see who's become parents in the pandemic as well, right? How they've changed. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, but at, at the end of the day, I think this has been a really uh, upsetting year, but it's also been a really interesting year. And, and Louis, please, trying to have a conversation. <laughs> It's like growling at something outside. Is there someone out there I should know about? <laughs> and it's probably um, probably just in the stairs. But um, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a really difficult year, but it's also been a, a crazy awesome year because I think we've we've done something we haven't done before. You know, again, it's like we reinvented. You, you mentioned it in the beginning. It's quite similar to what we've done, but we've also reinvented it. But we haven't re well, we've in, innovated on our on our approach. We haven't really you know, radically changed. I think we've, we've, we, I think we have become to your point more, um, it's been simpler to get your voice heard because of this, the back and forth and the giving each other the room. But I I feel also like it's been more rushed because this meeting ends in five minutes, you know, and you have to like, Oh crap. You know, I haven't had time to go through all the work or whatever. So I, I, yeah, it's going to be nice to be in a place that's a little bit more fluid and not so boxed in by a schedule and then another box that you jump in with your face into, you know? Yeah, um, really strange, isn't it? How, I mean, it's, like, it's, a, it's another constant of technological development, which is we build things to make, we, we, we design tools to make things easier. And what they do is they free up a load of headroom and then we fill the headroom. So it's like this Zoom thing means we can have 10 meetings a day rather than five. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> What's that thing that they're saying is it's gone from work from home to live at work? Yes. Um, brilliant. You know, so I think um yeah, I mean I'm lucky enough to 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 have a like a little this used to be my you know a place where we kept some some clothes in or something. And now now it's where I do my you know do do my daily Zoom calls or whatever. And and it's a um it's such a weird, it's weird, I have to say, but I, yeah, so it's going to be fun to come back. It's also just the energy. Like, again, it's the singular versus the group, right? So I think what I miss is the dynamic of the group as well. Just that constant changing in other people's energies, Mm. you know, because we are only as good as other people, you know, we're only as good as the people around us. And, um, and uh, I mean, I feel sorry for (laughs) You know, some days, some days you just wake up on the, you know, and you're just like not awesome or whatever. You're not feeling it. And when you have great people around you, those days are easier. When you don't, or then you have to really try like this to enjoy the time that you have rather than just putting a pressure on you on a deadline or ticking boxes of what needs to be done. Again, I really think it's about trying to enjoy. And I think we've learned a lot in the past year about how to enjoy this. This is what we have right now. We have to enjoy this. It's almost like, you know, on Netflix, I don't think they have that anymore, but, or on any of the um, streaming devices where you can put on like a, you know, a, a, a fake fire, log fire. It's a little bit the same. It's not that real, but it's kind of, it kind of feels good, you know, anyway. Yeah. You, I don't have a fireplace, so ah, I'm going to put that on. You know, it's Friday night after all, you know, it's going to be a little cozy. It's raining. <laughs> uh, but so this is instead of, but, you know, I'd rather have this than not. You know, imagine if this would have happened 30 years ago and we would have been like, hello, you know, let me just dial you up. Yeah. And then we can have a conversation. You know, I'll send you an e- an e- a letter handwritten. Uh, maybe the fax machine is out of paper. So it's it's just, I think we're blessed to be where we are in, in, in the technology and this happening to us now. 
you know. I think it would have been really difficult 20 years ago. I think you're right. And I think, um, I think uh, well, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the world is like the next time we are speaking. Yeah. Well, let's do that. Let's make a date for that. Let's definitely do that. Yeah, absolutely. Cal Helsen, the chief creative officer of 180, the most, what is it, Amsterdam's most famous, something like that. It's the, you know, the agency to beat in Amsterdam. <laughs> Everyone wants a piece of it. But so, at least yeah. we're enjoying, enjoying stuff. At hey, I mean, having a good time. you say at least, but can you do more than that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, it's, I, think, I think Amsterdam, as in general, is a good place to be at. I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people who are interested in moving abroad or whatever. And I think Amsterdam, there's a lot of great agencies here, you know, and, and 180 or not, there's, this is a great place. It's, it, it's the birthplace of liberalism, the birthplace of capitalism, the birthplace of a lot of cool things, you know, um, uh, and it's just an amazing place for creative people that want to do great stuff. So I, I, I tell to everyone, even if, you know, if we don't have the doors open to hire, you should definitely check out Amsterdam and the agencies here as well. Or Manchester here is really good too. It's, 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 it's good and it's getting better. So yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, it's been a real pleasure. I look forward to the next one and Likewise. I hope you have Thanks, a man. great day. You as well. Cheers, Cal. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.